Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. The devil had already persuaded Judas Iscariot to hand Jesus over to his enemies. Judas was the son of Simon. This is not Simon the uh, apostle or anything. It's not, meaning people were wondering, was this Simon Peter? Is that the same Simon? No, it is not. It's a separate Simon. Just like, how many of you know a person named Mary? Okay, or a person named Susan? Do you know more than one person maybe named Mary and more than one person named Susan? There's definitely more than one person named Mary. We've got Mary Magdalene, which Minister Scott made it so clear that just meant that's where she was from. That wasn't her last name. We've got Mary, the mother of Jesus. The only one that I can tell you for sure that you're not going to have two or three or four of them is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is the one and only. Okay? So just kind of, you know, just know that. Okay? Just moving forward. So anyway, back to this. The point is, and this was really displayed so wonderfully, it was portrayed so wonderfully when we went to Sight and Sound, because you could actually see all of them gathered at this last feast. And it was just portrayed absolutely so beautiful. And you got to see Judas Iscariot sitting there. And oh, anyway, <laughs> at Sight and Sound, it was just so beautiful. But okay, back to this, I can't. I can't get off track with that. Anyway, the key here is that God had foreknowledge. He knew what could take place. And we talked about that last time, so I'm not going to go through all that. But here's the key here. Judas was the one out of the 12 disciples. They all were like brothers to Jesus. But he was the one who went ahead and accepted the thought, the idea, and the suggestion from the enemy to go ahead and betray Jesus. Why didn't, all, why didn't somebody else do it? I mean, when you stop to really think about it, because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to think as we're doing this and analyze. Why wasn't it somebody else? Couldn't it have been John? How come it couldn't have been Peter? How couldn't it have been someone else? The key is, he, meaning Judas, let his guard down. He was not operating with his armor fully on. And he allowed himself to accept and receive the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that the enemy placed in his heart. And then, you know, we can sit up and we can talk about Judas like he's this horrible, you know, dog of a person of what he did. But as I said last week, and I submit to you again, every single time you allow yourself to do something that does not line up with the word. It can be as simple as coming into church and avoiding one of your brothers and sisters just because you don't feel like being bothered with them. Guess what? That is not what God commanded us to do. He commanded us to love everyone and to walk in love. Okay, we're all different, you know, and you may not like everybody. I mean, you know, sometimes you may not even like your own children. You're going to love them because they're yours. But there are some times you don't like them very much and you got to deal with that. But the point is, you don't, anytime you get to a point where you can do some things like, well, I'm just going to go the other way. I'm just not going to talk. Or I'm just going to, that's putting you no different than Judas. Okay, it's just that you're not written about where we can sit and then see it. But know that you're no different. So anytime you start, you know, getting on 
on him, think about that. You're no different. So you have to make sure you keep your armor on so that you don't allow yourself to accept any of these thoughts, ideas, and suggestions and have them come into your heart because that's the key. They went into the heart of Judas. So some people will sit up and say, well, you know, how come God ordained that? since he has foreknowledge. How come he ordained it? He didn't ordain it. It wasn't ordained of God that Judas do that. God would be a monster of a person if he would do something like ordain Judas to go ahead and betray Jesus and then go ahead and commit suicide and go to hell. Why would he do that? If he were that type of guy, he would have all of us do that. He wouldn't have to just single out Judas and say do it. He could do that for anyone if he was interested in all of us going to hell. But obviously, he's not. But he did give each and every one of us a free will. And that's where it gets extremely interesting, that free will. So we're going to look at a different biblical illustration, and it's going to prove all the things that, we, that I just mentioned to you about Judas, which is very, very true. It says in scripture, the Bible said that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Why would Jesus be the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world if there wasn't a world to come? Amen. It's a good question, right? I mean, why, why was it put in scripture? Why, why is it there? Why was it necessary that he be slain before the foundation of the world if there wasn't some necessity for a sacrifice to be made? Why? Because God knew that Adam and Eve were going to blow it. Okay, but he did not make them blow it. Okay, and I gave the example last week, which I'm not going to go in again, but just like you know sometimes, especially if you're a parent and you have children, you know your children are going to do some things that they shouldn't do, but you have foreknowledge, you've got more wisdom. Now, we're not God, and I'm not saying that we are, but even with our limited understanding of that, we make provisions for some of the things we know that they're going to kind of mess up and do. You know, just think about it. I was just thinking. I remember, because, all right, we have five children, and all of them at some point in time, except for the baby, you know, they kind of like branch off on their own, you know, and they're going to, okay, we're going to, we graduated from college, now we're going to get our own apartment, you know, and they have all these grand schemes of things, and they don't realize, it's almost like an old episode of the Cosby show, if you ever looked at it, where he's sitting with Theo, and he's explaining to him, well, you have to pay for rent, and you have to pay for food, and you have to pay for furniture, you know, all that. Well, kids sometimes, you know, oh, it's easy, you know, because I grew up in a house, we had furniture. That you, we have, you know, so they're not thinking when you go out, yes, they may tell you that your rent is $1,500. Now that's modest because now it's probably more, but say $1,500 you have to pay for rent. But oh, you don't want to sit in an empty apartment. You do have to have furniture. So that means you have to go buy that. And even if you get some kind of furniture on payment plans, you still got to pay that. Oh, and then the food. By the time they add all this stuff up, I'll never forget one of our children coming home, sitting down. This child came home at Christmas time. It was so cute. Because we were getting ready to go away on vacation in January. And this person comes in and they're sitting in our room. And they're like, oh, well, I just kind of like have a little bit of a question, you know, for you. And we're like, okay. We're, we, anytime you're asking both of us to sit in here, we know something's up, okay? Well, you see, uh, I'm just a little short. <laughs> what I need and you know like the rent's going to be due when I go back and you know I only need about twelve to fifteen hundred dollars do, do you think that you could maybe help me out with this now we're the parents 
course, what are we going to say? Well, we could have said a lot of things. We knew it was twelve to fifteen hundred dollars. We don't now have to take to go on vacation with because now we got to give it to this child. I'm like, really? <laughs> what did you do? Did you? But the point that I'm making to you is, if we're just regular, average people, we love our children. We're going to do whatever we can, and we kind of know they're going to mess up, and you got to have something kind of waiting for them, you know, just in case they do. Well, God, being God. He has foreknowledge. He knows. And the wonderful thing about him is that he always, always makes provision so that we don't get stuck. And that's the wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. But the point is he created Adam and Eve with the free will. So he gave them a choice of what to do. But the great news is he did make that provision that Jesus would come and redeem all of us because he knew that Adam was going to do the wonderful thing that he did. But God didn't make Judas betray Jesus. And it's important to know that. The devil put it in his heart. And here's the thing. Just like I said, we can't sit up and look at Judas like he's so horrible because he'll do the same thing to us. If we allow him to, he will do the exact same thing. And it's actually what it means when it says that he'll devour us. You know, the enemy is always seeking whom he may devour. Well, he devours you by putting these thoughts, ideas, and suggestions in your heart and then having you act upon them. Now, if Christians were even halfway as persistent in doing good things as the devil is in evil craftiness, what a different world we would be living in right now. And what a different church we would have. And I don't mean just our congregation, I mean the body of Christ at large. How different it would be. Satan is the epitome of consistency. He is always consistent. But you can't put anything into a non-receptive heart. So Judas had to have an open channel for Satan to be able to use. Now Judas was the treasurer for Jesus' ministry, as we all know. But he had to have a mercenary heart already for Satan to be able to drop that into him. Judas obviously failed to guard his thought life. He didn't do what? He didn't use his armor. The devil came and brought the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, and we see the tragedy that was played out before us. Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. And we're going to look at verse number 8. 1 Peter 5, verse number 8. Because we're going to learn something from this. If we look at it in the New King James Version, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The easy to read says, Control yourselves and be careful. The devil is your enemy, and he goes around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to attack and eat. See, I like that, because that kind of makes it super clear. Now, the message... <laughs> is even better because it says keep a cool head stay alert the devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping I like that that is so clear okay because just imagine that imagine that you see just imagine yourself somewhere walking in a jungle 
Because this world sometimes can feel just like that. Okay? And there's a lion poised up in a tree, wanting to just pounce on you, to totally devour and eat you completely up. You better be paying attention. That's not a time to sit under the tree and decide to take a nap. So that's exactly how the message put it, and I like that. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. I love that. So who made the devil devour? It's obvious he's talking about those who don't guard their thought life. Considering Eve, considering Judas, it's clear that those who fail to maintain their thought life will be what? They'll be devoured. So wisdom dictates that we've got to make sure that we're guarding our minds. We've got to start really, really fine-tuning it and paying attention so that the enemy has no place and opportunity to get to us and trip us up. Because Satan is walking throughout the earth seeking all the time, whom he may devour. You've got to ask yourself the question, are you the one that he's going to get to next? <laughs> so turn with me now to Acts 5, the fifth chapter of Acts. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. This, okay, to give you a little backdrop for this, when the church began after Pentecost, Christians were like really excited about it, okay, and they were adding to the church daily. Now see that, I could just pause right there, and that right there is a whole nother message, because it makes you wonder, well, what's going on now, okay, where here we are, the church, the body of Christ, we are born again, spirit-filled, have all of the benefits of the kingdom that God has so richly given to us. Are we adding to the church daily? Are we even, th but here, this is where you got to be authentic. And this is a little off topic, but I want to leave this nugget with you because I want you to think about it. How often do you really, in your day-to-day -day life, think about adding to the church daily? Or are you more or less really thinking about what it is that you need to do to get ahead? What it is that you need to do to make life better for you and your family and going on the cruise and what you're going to wear on the cruise and all those other kinds. I'm being serious though. Those are the things that we're thinking on and meditating on. Are we ever thinking about the church and adding to it daily and taking our resources to work toward that end? And what if we did do that? Would it make a difference? Do you think our Heavenly Father would be pleased? Do you think we'd be in a better position if we did do that, opposed to all of the other things that I mentioned? Something to think about. But anyway, <laughs> it's just something to think about. So, okay, everybody should be at Acts 5, right? Okay. So, now I'm going to tell, we know the story pretty much of Ananias and his wonderful little wife, Sapphira. But I want us to look at it in, I'm only going to give you two translations, but I want you to see the difference. So, 
Follow along with me. I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplify. Okay? And it says, starting with verse 1, Now a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge and complicity, he kept back some of the proceeds, bringing only a portion of it and set it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and secretly keep back for yourself some of the proceeds from the sale of the land? Verse 4. As long as it remained unsold, did it not remain your own to do with as you pleased? And after it was sold, was the money not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this act of hypocrisy and deceit in your heart? You have not simply lied to the people, but to God. Now see, this, okay, let me, in verse 5. And hearing these words, Ananias fell down suddenly and died. And great fear and awe gripped those who heard of it. Now, the reason why the different translations are so wonderful is if you look at this verse in the New King James, verse 4, it says, While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. That's true, and that's pretty straightforward. But when you look at it this way, it breaks it down out of the Amplified to let you know that as long as it remained unsold, did it not remain your own to do with as you please? And after it was sold, was the money not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this act of hypocrisy and deceit in your heart? That lets you, it kind of gives you a play-by-play more than the New King James. Would you agree with that? Because this is showing you that they actually, he actually had to come up with a plan that was conceived of hypocrisy and deceit, and it had to be lodged in his heart for him to even go forward with doing it. And of course, in doing that, not only was he lying to the people, but he was lying to God. But again, that is a thought, idea, and a suggestion that made him do this. But keep in mind that Peter was asking him the question of how come these thoughts, ideas, and suggestions? Where did they come from? And it's obvious that what Ananias did was he neglected his armor and did what? Instead, listened to the devil's lies, the same as Eve, the same as Judas, only in this instance, it cost him his life as well as the life of his wife. And the point is, again, we can look at all of this and say, ooh, that was really something. But you know what? <laughs> People are doing that same kind of thing that are Christians who are scheming and they think that, you know, because just like because your name isn't written in a chapter for everybody to read, God says every single thing that you do. He knows every thought. He knows what's in your heart. So when you sit there and you give and you sit there, and I know people do this, okay, where you sit there and go, yeah, okay, I know my tithe, I should really give $50, but you know, I really want to go over to the store because I really did see these shoes because I really would like them. So you know what, Lord? I'm going to give you $20. Like, you, like he needs your little money, okay? I'm going to give you $20 because I really need those $30 to go over there and get those shoes. Really? Now, he's not striking you down dead, okay? Praise God because he's so loving and he's so merciful. But did it ever occur to you that when you do these kinds of little antics, when you think all kinds of weird things like this, maybe when you need something else, 
Maybe when you're calling out for something else. Maybe, just maybe, the enemy, because the enemy could give you that silly thought, idea, and suggestion about those stupid shoes for $30. He can give you some other thoughts, ideas, and suggestions where you land yourself into a big pile of mess that then God has to deliver you from. So why not just avoid all that? Go ahead and believe God. Do the right thing. Put in the $50. And then you know what? He can turn around and give you more shoes than you ever thought you would get for that sale for $30. I know this because he does it all the time. But the point is, we have to do what? We've got to adjust our thinking to make sure that our thinking is lining up with the word of God, making it the final authority, not accepting the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that just pop up into our head. So if we look at Ananias and Sapphira and Judas Iscariot and Eve, they were all devoured. The devil sought them out and he devoured them. And his plan is to do the exact same thing to us time and time again, or to attempt to do it. Now, he can't get away with it unless we allow him to, but he's going to attempt it, know that. Um, the thoughts will always come and they're going to be constant. They'll come and we have to deal with them. But the way to do it is with our armor. Now, all four of these people that we just talked about, they had a battle, and every single one of them lost. They were devoured, as we said. Satan sought them, he devoured them, but listen to this. The devil himself is a prime example of someone falling from his God-intended position. And it is clear that the cause of his fall was his unbridled thought life. That's truly what it was, which he failed to maintain. I'll show it to you. Turn with me to Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah 14. And I'm going to share this with you out of three different translations. I really want you to see this. I thought this was really good. Isaiah 14. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14. So, if you look at it in the New King James Version, it says, and you're there? Yeah. Okay. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The easy to read just says, you were like the morning star, but you've fallen from the sky. In the past, all the nations on earth bowed down before you, but now you have been cut down. You always told yourself, I will go to the skies above. I will put my throne above God's stars. I will sit on Zaphon, the holy mountain where the gods meet. I will go up to the altar above the tops of the clouds. I will be <laughs> like God the most high. And lastly, I'm going to read it to you out of the message because I like this one. It says, what a come down this old Babylon, day star, son of dawn. Flat on your face in the underworld mud, you famous for flattening nations. You said to yourself, I'll climb to heaven. I'll set my throne over the stars of God. I'll run the assembly of angels that meets on the sacred Mount Zephon. I'll climb to the top of the clouds. I'll take over as king of the universe. 
Wow. Now, where do you think these thoughts come from? <sighs> You'll see in a moment, but let me ask you a question. Who was Lucifer? Because, you know, who really was Lucifer? We know that he was a fallen angel. We know that, you know, he did these wonderful things. Well, this is the best description. Turn with me to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. And we're going to look at verses 14 and 19. And I'm going to share them with you out of the message. Ezekiel 28. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. So, this is the message version of it. It says, God's message came to me. Son of man, raise a funeral song over the king of Tyra. Tell him a message from God the master. You had everything going for you. You were in Eden, God's garden. You were dressed in splendor. Your robe studded with jewels. And then check out the jewels. This part I really, I really liked. Carnelian, peridot, moonstone, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire. Okay, it's Ezekiel 28, because I'm not sure if everybody's there. Ezekiel 28, verses 14 through 19. Okay, everybody's there? Okay. So back to this wonderful splendor of the robe, because this was really exciting to me. The carnelian, your robe studded, you were dressed in splendor, your robe studded with jewels. Carnelian, peridot, and moonstone. Beryl, onyx, and jasper. Sapphire, turquoise, and emerald, all in settings of engraved gold. A robe was prepared for you the same day you were created. You were the anointed cherub. I placed you on the mountain of God. You strolled in magnificence among the stones of fire. From the day of your creation, you were sheer perfection. And then imperfection, evil, was detected in you. In much buying and selling, you turned violent. You sinned. I threw you disgraced off the mountain of God. I threw you out, you, the anointed angel, cherub. No more stroll, strolling among the gems of fire for you. Your beauty went to your head. You corrupted wisdom by using it to get worldly fame. I threw you to the ground, sent you sprawling before an audience of kings and let them gloat over your demise. By sin after sin after sin, by your corrupt ways of doing business, you defiled your holy places of worship. So I set a fire around and within you. It burned you up. I reduced you to ashes. All anyone sees now when they look for you is ashes, a pitiful mound of ashes. All who once knew you now throw up their hands. This can't have happened. This has happened. So that gives you a pretty good uh, description, hopefully, of exactly who was Lucifer. He was an angel. He was actually the choir master in heaven. He was an awesome personage. He was the most beautiful angel that God had created. That's why he was actually called the bright star. 
and son of the morning. I mean, those are just wonderful descriptions right there. Lucifer was simply his technical name, but he got beside himself. Now I'm going to pause here. How many of you know people who have gotten beside themselves? There's this wonderful book that was written by, yeah, I know, well, hey, I mean, I'm just saying, because again, I try to take the things we're learning and put them into this world in which we're living so that we can learn from it so that it helps us better apply the word to our day-to-day lives, okay? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of, well, there are many people that you can think of who have gotten beside themselves. We even see it Well, there's this book that I bought my husband years ago because I happen to like basketball and I love certain coaches. And this one coach, Pat Riley, wrote a book, The Disease of Me. And that book is The Disease of Me. People get that, okay, where they walk around and all of a sudden, and especially if you give them a little half of piece of a title, you know, like I'm the head of, uh, I don't know, picking up gum paper or something, you know, that's their title, and all of a sudden that's such a big deal, you know, it's just a, and they get a little besides themselves, they forget who they are, they forget how to serve God, and in order for you to lead, you must first learn to serve, but a lot of people don't want to hear that part, they just want the leadership, and they want all of this stuff that they think goes with it. Okay, so some of us may have known some people like that. Okay, well, this is exactly what happened to Lucifer. So we definitely don't want to be like him in any way, shape, or form. So think about it. If we could think about his position, all of us look forward to being able to behold the Most High God. We look forward. You know, their songwriters have written numerous songs about just to behold him. You know, we we can't even imagine what that's going to be like. Okay, well, Lucifer had that ability. I mean, he was literally there. He was able to just sit and talk to the Most High God. What a privilege that would be. And him, with these thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, totally, totally destroyed his whole entire existence there. So what happened? He actually became became God's enemy. But he is still extremely intelligent. And that's the other thing that we as Christians should never forget. He's not dumb. He's not stupid. He's extremely intelligent. After his defeat, what did he do? He didn't just sit there and go, okay, Woe is me. Like some of us, we get a little temptation. We have just a little bit of a challenge, and we have to call up everybody in America and have a pity party. Like you think you are the only person who has had a challenge. Give me, trust me, if you're not in the midst of a challenge, there's one on the way. Know that. But also know that you have victory if you are applying the word of God and exercise your faith. Victory belongs to you. But, you know, but anyway... So what did, what did Lucifer do? He decided to think about what got him into this mess to begin with. He really wanted to know. You know, like sometimes if you're going through a challenge and you find that you're going through the challenge more than one time, now he is intelligent because he was figuring it out after the first time he went through it. Some of us go through things over and over and over and then we make appointments, we need counseling, we don't understand. Okay, you know, if it's... 
some things are so interesting. Like you'll have people come in and bless their hearts. You know, they want to sit and they, they don't understand why, you know, like a, a husband and wife may come in and, and the, the wife just doesn't understand why she's having challenges with her marriage. And the whole time we're sitting there, the poor little husband can't say a word. And I'm like, maybe that's part of it. You know, you haven't let the man speak. You've just been running off your mouth for a whole hour. That could be part of the challenge. Or I don't understand why I can't pay my bills. I just don't understand what is going on but I'm not tithing. I don't give anything to the church, but I do have every single designer bag that's out. Mm, that might be part of the challenge. I mean, so the thing is, we need to stop and assess our situation and try to figure out why is this happening to me over and over. We are definitely, we have more authority than the enemy, so why aren't we at least acting as smart as he does? Because he wanted to know what happened, and this is what he did. He sat there, and we can imagine he must have said, okay, I was all of this wonderful description we just read in Ezekiel. I mean, I had a robe with all of those jewels on it. Oh, my goodness. Just, I mean, it put Tiffany to shame. <laughs> Tiffany stores, okay, with all of the stuff that he had. He was walking streets of gold, all of this stuff he had. And now here he's slung down into the mud, and he's trying to figure out what's the story. So he then asked himself, how did this happen to me? How did I get in this situation? How did I lose all that I had? And then it dawned on him, it's the thoughts that came into me, that were running me, that put me in this dumb position. So now, what am I going to do about it? I wonder if this out-of-control mind business could actually work on somebody else. Because remember, he... <laughs> was evil because evil entered into his heart. So therefore he's going to start thinking about things from an evil perspective. So he wanted to see who else could he trip up since this happened to him. Let's see if that's it because he's still trying to figure it out, test the waters. So he decided let me go and test poor little Eve. You know, because remember, we talked about Eve, and Eve at this time was still had a pure heart, meaning she, you know, it was just her and Adam and God. So she still had a heart of purity. So she was the perfect target for him to test all of this stuff out on. So he picked her. That was his first target. And all he did was when he went into the garden, was he just dropped some thoughts, ideas, and suggestions on her. He didn't do anything too big. He just did that. And he kept doing things like... He said things to her like we read, you're not going to die. I know God said you would surely die, but you won't. I mean, come on. Besides that, look at that tree. Doesn't it look good? Doesn't it look like it would have wonderful fruit on it? Wonderful food? Okay, these are what? His little subtle thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. He didn't go hit her on the head. He didn't do anything that was real ballistic. He just dropped those thoughts on her. And... <laughs> It must have blown the devil's mind at how quickly and easily she fell for it. That became his precedent or his mode of operation and that's what he still uses today. Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, the wiles of the devil, the evil day, the fiery darts, all that we've been sitting up here studying, he's still doing the same thing. Now, isn't it logical then to conclude that if we don't guard our own thought life, okay, unlike Eve and all the other people that we just talked about, then we could throw ourselves open to the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions of Satan, and we would be the ones that are devoured. Because if you're stressed out, you're devoured. 
because it's fertile ground for him to just come right out and give you those thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. That's why we don't ever need to be stressed out. If you're depressed, you're devoured because you're not being able to think clearly and receive the word. So there's a chink in your armor. You're going to be devoured. If you're afraid of anything, meaning that you're afraid to a point where it's rendering you inoperative. You know, like some people um, have tendencies where they deal with claustrophobia, okay? And if you put them in a closed space, they, they, it's like they're not operating correctly. They're not functioning. So therefore, it's fertile ground for them. Um, some people, again, won't do certain things. Like you will find people who won't go on this cruise, okay, in August, because they literally are fearful of being in that much water and not being able to feel like they can just get out and walk. And it's just all water around them. And that's a real fear, and I'm not making fun of it. I'm just being clear on it. There are some people to this day who still will not get in an airplane because they really do believe that if they get up there that, you know, I don't, they have all kinds of fears. You know, it's going to fall, it just can't work. And it's really, these are all tricks of the enemy because when you think about it, a person will not get up in an airplane, but they'll come up here to the sixth floor on an elevator. I mean, I don't... How do you think the elevator got you up here? I mean, technically, the cables could break on that. You could sit and think of all kinds of things where you would want to do nothing but just sit in a room in your house and never leave. The point I'm making is fear can really grip you. Another thing that can grip you, which I don't know who this is for because it's not in this, but grief. People can have a loved one transition and grief, which is a spirit, can hold them bound where they can't even move to go on to the next step. Which is why one of the things that I do whenever I find out that someone has lost a loved one is to bind that spirit. Because it can be something that just literally grips a person and for years and years and years, their lives can really just be almost destroyed as a result of it. Because they're constantly getting what? Being fed. Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that don't line up with the word of God. And because they're in a vulnerable state, because they're just hurting, they're just fertile ground for the enemy who's seeking whom he may devour to just come right on in and snatch them. And we have to make sure that doesn't happen to us. So if we don't watch our mind... <laughs> We can certainly go right down the tubes like all of the people that we've just talked about. And we have to make sure that we are constantly looking at our armor because it's going to tell us exactly what it is that we need to do. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians because this is a good, a good thing for us to look at to help us in this area. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. And we're going to look at verse 5. And I know you're very familiar with these verses probably. But sometimes you read a verse and you think you're familiar with it. And you think you know what it means. And you just kind of move on. It's sort of like, you know how in... Um, well, I don't know if they do it now. They don't do anything like they used to years ago. But years ago, we used to have in elementary school a class called social studies. And they would sit there. I don't know why they did this. It's usually like about third grade. And the teacher would always just pick on you to read a paragraph out loud. And you would read it. And I'm, I mean, I don't know about everybody, but I can tell you now, if, first of all, 
if you pick on me, I don't want to do it, you know, and there's some people who are very quiet and they really don't want to do it, and then they put you on blast, they make you do it. And then when you're reading it, you're just trying to get through it. You don't know what you read. You really don't care. You're just hoping, thank God, let her pick on somebody else and leave me alone. Well, when it comes to this verse of scripture, I find through discussing it with people, that's kind of like what they do. So we're not going to do that tonight. So if you look at 2 Corinthians 10, the fifth verse in the New King James Version, it says, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, I mean, it sounds good. Like, even if you read it, 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 it has a certain rhythm to it. But I don't think everybody always breaks down exactly what it's saying. If you look at it in the easy to read, it says, and we tear down every proud idea that raises itself against the knowledge of God. Who also, We also capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. Yeah, I know. It's a little different. Okay, we also capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. When we're really authentic with ourselves, we don't do that 100% of the time. We may try to do it, but a lot of times we don't. Now this I'm going to share with you out of the message because I love this one. And it says this, the world is unprincipled. How many can agree with that? Okay. It's dog eat dog out. It's dog eat dog out there for sure. That's how it is. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. That is really good. If you don't have the message, get this, this translation. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 10th chapter, verse 5, and actually it spills over a little bit into 6 in the message. That is a powerful, powerful description. I really, really, really like that. Did anybody get anything out of that? I hope you did, because I really did. Anyway, so casting down means throwing down. So instead of the word arguments, which is what the traditional King James Version says, you know, arguments, reasonings, all have to do with the mind. So God our Father is not about thought control. It's important to know that. God does not want to control our thoughts. He does not. If he wanted to control our thoughts, he would have created us to be like the creatures of the animal kingdom that operate on instinct rather than willful choices. And you know, when you think about it, you can think about salmon, you know, that wonderful little fish. It literally goes upstream to spawn and die. It's almost a little sad when you really think about it. Because we don't know why God did it, but I mean, that's his way, so we're not going to question it. But he's programmed these poor little fish that 
presumably they just swim on upstream. They drop their eggs, and then you would think they would just go back into the ocean and live a happy life, but they don't. Instead, they just die. I mean, I think that's actually sad. <laughs> um, but they don't have a choice because that's what they're programmed to do. And you notice how when it starts getting cold here, what do the birds do? I'm not talking about the pigeons, but the actual other birds. I mean, these pigeons are special. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the other wonderful little birds. What do they do? They all are programmed. It's like God knew. They are programmed to go south where it's warm. And then when the season changes, notice they're not out now. Okay. <laughs> Come back. It's, that's how he programmed them. But we, on the other hand, he's given us a free will. And if God had wanted to control our wills, then he would have definitely made us like the animals, but he didn't. So what he's trying to do as our loving father as a loving parent would do, is to really give us some good advice. I mean, think about it. If you've ever tried to mentor a person or if you've ever had children, you are not trying to ruin their lives and tell them, no, you shouldn't do this and no, you shouldn't do that. You know, I remember once I told, you know, because boys have a tendency to think that, you know, they should be able to get away with more than girls. Well, I don't know, whatever. In my household, it's the same. But I do remember as my son started getting really bigger than me, like six foot three and kissing me on top of my head, we had to still set some ground rules when you know they were there. So the point was, if you're going to go out, yes, you're grown and all that. But if you're going to go out, you better be in the house before 2 o'clock. Now, I mean grown, grown. I don't mean in teenagers. I mean grown like, you know... Okay, but you got to be in my house before 2 o'clock. Because after that, nothing good is out in the streets after 2 o'clock. At least out by where we live. Out here it's different. The city never sleeps. You know, it's different. But out there, it's like, think of living in the country. If you're out at 2 o'clock, you're usually up to no good. So therefore, you're not supposed to be out at 2 o'clock. Now, I wasn't, we weren't saying that to them because we were trying to be mean-spirited or wreck their lives or anything like that. It was because we were trying to give them guidance. Well, that's all that God is trying to give us through the Word. And the thing that's so wonderful is he's actually, it's written there for us to see it anytime we want. We can just pick it up and get the answers that we need. But the key is, are we really doing that? Are we really reading it? I mean, because that's all that he's doing. In no way, shape, or form is he trying to stress you out, depress you, or make life hard for you at all. Now, this is a little interesting thing. Okay, oh, gosh. Okay, I'm going to try to get this part in, because this part deals with our kingdom warriors, the men. So I always like to get something in on them, because I'm always hard on the girls. Okay, think about this. You know how men, well, now GPS has helped them. I believe a man created the GPS just for them, personally, okay, to help them. But you know how men usually never will stop and get directions? They swear they know how to get everywhere all the time. You know, no, 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 no. We'll, anyway, you could ride around for an hour and a half. But now there's GPS, so that solved that problem. But the other thing is, they may still go and buy something that has to get put together. You know, like, it's going to be very interesting because I know that my daughter's having a baby, so the crib is coming and that has to get put together. I can already imagine how that is going to be. Because the point is, they think they just need, they can do it. They don't need instructions. Why have instructions? 
we can just put it together and then when we end up with six extra screws and we don't know why and why this piece is over here, it's because they needed to just take a moment and read the manual. And when we come back, we'll pick up from there and talk about exactly how that pertains to us when it comes to reading the Word of God. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the sixth floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.